Now, what am I supposed to be doing here? Preach? Yeah? Can you, would you bow your heads with me? Let's just pause and invite the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, to speak to each of us this morning. God, we just, we gather together here in church, not just to shake hands and be nice to one another. We actually come here to, to hear from you and to have you speak into the places that we live. And uh, God, we want to hear from you this morning. We want to know uh, your your thoughts. We want to uh, walk in your ways, and we pray, Lord, this morning that uh, you might lead us in that we pray today. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Angel, if you grab my Bible, I actually forgot to bring it up here. Well, jumping into our Acts series this morning, we're in this series where we're considering how following Jesus turns the world upside down, and today uh, we're, we're going to be looking at this great little passage in Acts chapter 6, just seven little verses. And I would say that this is one of the disproportionately influential little passages of, of, of all of Scripture. It's just incredibly influential. Church, how churches have organized themselves throughout history has often come straight out of these verses. And we'll look uh, briefly at the end just how Hillside has aligned itself with, with these ideas found in Acts chapter 6. But but I would say just as significant as how this, this passage kind of outlines a way of us doing church together uh, is how they dealt with conflict. It's just my, my opinion here, but I think every single one of us can improve in, can grow in the way we deal with conflict in our lives. You know, whether it be at church or with our neighbors or with our friends or coworkers, our, our, our family members, we can all grow in this. Uh, like someone once said, I'm not arguing, I'm simply explaining why I'm right. <laughs> or as someone else confessed, I like this, they describe themselves, I'm an odd combination of really sweet and don't mess with me. <laughs> well, the Bible has uh, lots to say about this whole area of, of resolving conflict, of addressing conflict in our lives, and we're going to explore some of that today. So if you have, have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 7, 6, it's 6, I believe, chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 to 7. Would you please, again, if you're able, stand for the reading of God's Word. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the apostles, called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected, respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them his, this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word. Have, have a seat. 
Now, now in this passage, I just want to point out right from the start that, that a lot of good things were actually going on. It says that the believers rapidly multiplied. Doesn't that sound like rabbits, by the way? <laughs> they grew. People were coming to Christ. The, the church was growing numerically. Um, we already know from the first verse that they, they already had programs for feeding the poor, for feeding widows. I mean, this was in a day where they had no social services. Uh, they, they had no, no government assistance of any kind, no share food bank, uh, no old age security. And so they were, the church was taking care of their own. And in all kinds of ways, things were really, really good. But in the middle of all that, there is this, this conflict. There's this kind of tension that we read about. It, essentially, it was this. The Greek-speaking Jews, who were very likely in the minority there, they felt that the Hebrew-speaking Jews were overlooking their widows in the daily feeding program. Now, the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, think about this for a second, they were the ones who, who spoke the language of Scripture. They spoke Hebrew. They were born and raised in Israel. The Greek speakers, they likely grew up in foreign countries. We, we think that they may have come to Jerusalem actually for the day of Pentecost to celebrate Pentecost, and they stuck behind as they gave their lives to Christ. But they were Jews, but they didn't speak Hebrew. They, they spoke Greek, which was the kind of colloquial language, the language of the pagans in that day. So there's, a, there's kind of this interesting dynamic going on. We don't know all uh, everything ab about what is, is happening here. It might have been this, this sense of discrimination. It might have been feelings of superiority that made the, the Hebrew Christians kind of overlook the Greek widows. It might have just been a genuine oversight. Just they missed it. But there's a problem and there's this rumbling of discontent. There's this grumbling going on. This, uh, the murmuring, you might say, has begun. Now, among the people of God, you've got to understand that murmuring is nothing new. Um, you, you might remember back in, in Exodus uh, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and they, they'd been delivered. <laughs> murmur, murmur, murmur. <laughs> that was them. They wanted to go back to Egypt, and so they murmured. The same word here is, is used in Acts to describe this sense of discontentment that the, these early Christians were feeling, the Greek Christians were feeling. And I, I wonder if that's maybe a bit, bit of a heads up that, to the reader that this could have been potentially a very divisive situation in the early church, just like back in the wilderness. that The church could have gotten off track, like when the, the Hebrew, the, the Israelites ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You kind of wonder if, if Luke is saying, watch out, church, mind your murmuring. What, what is murmuring? Uh, I'd say it's an expression of an inner discontentment. Uh, let me say this. There has been murmurings in every church I've been a part of. Maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> Just thinking about it. Wow. Yeah. There's a consistent thread there, isn't there? Wow. Funny, funny thing about murmuring, though, is there, there's this great temptation to murmur, <laughs> to not murmur to the right person, the person you're most upset with. Instead, you, you murmur to, to whoever you bump into. You, you, you murmur to your family on the way home from church. You murmur to, to somebody, you, 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 to a friend in the parking lot, to the first person you meet. You murmur, what's this church coming to? 
You know, why aren't they singing my music? Why is the, the sound too loud? What, <laughs> I can't stand the way they do communion, and so on and on and on and on it goes. The murmuring. Um, murmur, the word murmur, is closely aligned with the word mutter. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever met a mutterer? I, I had a, a high school job, and I worked with this guy named Bill, an older guy, close to retirement, and uh, he, he used to work in the mill, but in his later years, he moved into the store where I worked, and, and you can see why he spent most of his years in the mill by himself. He was a lonely worker in the mill, and he would mutter all the time. And you sensed he was swearing, but you couldn't discern any specific, it was like, it was, it was that kind of thing going on all the time. Murmuring is, is kind of this, or muttering, it would be this low volume, under the radar kind of expression of discontent that festers because no one who can actually do anything about it is actually hearing about it. Do you see how, how muttering or murmuring or, or, or these expressions of, of complaint can potentially be so destructive to, to relationships and to unity in the church? We, we've talked already about how much persecution and opposition the church experienced from outside. And here in this passage, we're seeing the opposition coming, kind of stirring up from within and how, how it threatens the unity and the flourishing of the church. Let's, let's make this a little bit more personal this morning because I, I think it's true in every single relationship. How we handle conflict or disagreement or complaints or how we process our discontentment can either make a relationship or community stronger or weaker. So let me ask you, what is your strategy in your life for dealing with conflict? One very effective uh, approach for dealing with conflict might be called the orangutan strategy. Do you know what orangutans are known for? <laughs> they, they're known for living solitary lives. They, they live alone. They get together very briefly to mate, and then they go off into the jungle and spend the rest of the, their lives foraging by themselves. They're lonely, lonely creatures, but they've experienced very little conflict. <laughs> And so, so the strategy number one for avoiding conflict or dealing with conflict is the orangutan strategy. Simply avoid other people altogether and have a very fulfilling relationship with yourself. <laughs> strategy one. What are some other approaches to, to dealing with conflict? Uh, author David Johnson suggests some, animal, some other animal type strategies. I wonder, which of these do you identify with? Uh, there's the turtle. <laughs> you know what turtles do, right? When, when there's conflict, they hide, they withdraw, they, 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 they get away from, from any kind of chaos. They, they really actually feel helpless around conflict, and they feel like it's kind of pointless or hopeless to resolve conflict. Some of you might say, that's me, you know? I'm a hider, you know, I'm a withdrawer. Especially when you're around this next one, the shark. <laughs> the shark, Na name says it all, doesn't it? I actually like the shark, or I, I, I could go with the jackal. Somebody described this, this, this particular type as a jackal. But Johnson says a, a shark is someone who tries to overpower opponents and force them to accept his or her solution. Sharks, this is kind of key, place more importance on goals than on relationships. They, they win by attacking or overwhelming or intimidating. And, and some of you say, that, that sounds like my boss 
or that sounds like my, my, my teacher, or maybe that sounds like your spouse. The teddy bear, that's the next one. The teddy bears are kind of the opposite of the shark. Teddy bears, they place high value on relationships and they place low value on reaching or attaining their own goals. They believe people can't discuss conflict without hurting relationships, so they think conflict should be avoided at all costs to maintain harmony. Finally, the owl. Johnson suggests owls value both goals and relationships. They see conflicts as problems to be solved, and and they look for for win-win solutions that achieve both their goal and the other person's goal as well. To them, conflicts improve relationships by doing what? By removing the tension that's there. For me, I, I, I don't think I've ever really been characteristically a shark, although I've had my shark moments, my jackal moments, haven't I, dear? I can be a shark from time to time, but my natural leading, leaning is, is toward being a, more of a turtle or a teddy bear. I want to make everybody happy. Can't we all just get along, right? That's, that's kind of who I am in, in, in my not worst self. When I think it comes to conflict, I think God calls me, and I think he calls all of us to more of the owl approach, to actually engaging conflict, to not avoid it, not to run from it, to not create conflict, but to the way of, of, of communication and, and collaboration. It, it really works. But in moments of, of kind of high tension, many, many of us find ourselves kind of gravitating towards either conflict-creating strategies or conflict-avoiding strategies. Now, this is where it gets interesting as to what the disciples did in this passage, in this conflict that they encountered in the early church. They didn't hide. They didn't sacrifice their goals. They listened. They listened to the complaint. I think that's just such a a great place to start, listening. But then with owl-like wisdom given to them by the Holy Spirit, they, they, they drew everyone together and they acknowledged that there was actually a problem that needed to be addressed. Seems so simple, doesn't it? And I'd say here that this is where kind of a, there's a a unique challenge for us as Christians, maybe especially in church. Here's the thing when it comes to to, to the church. Lots of people in church get the idea that because God is, is in our midst, because we're Christians, there should be no disagreements. There should be no problems here. And if there are, it's a sign that we're not living up to what God's intended or that actually something must be wrong with the church because there's conflict here. And so it's tempting for those of us with teddy bear or, or turtle-like tendencies to minimize the problem or to deny the problem and just kind of swallow hard and be nice. And how well does that work? The, you know what, Jesus himself wasn't nice all the time. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the nice. What did he say? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And the only way to to make peace is to state the problem to the right person, not as a murmur, but as a valid concern to be brought out into the open, worked on, and thought through. And, And this kind of process actually can surprisingly generate new life and new ideas. There's an example of this from the Old Testament, again from the Israelites' time in in the desert. As uh, we already mentioned, when the Israelites are in their journey through the wilderness, they were really quite gifted complainers. 
Um, let me ask you this. Do you know, know anyone who has the gift of complaint? You probably know somebody. It's not a spiritual gift, by the way, just so you know. Just, you know, like, hey, I've got the spiritual gift of criticism. I actually had somebody visit us on a Sunday morning, and they told me that. They met me in my office the next week. They said, I want to meet your pastor. And they said, you know, I, I, I want to tell you some things about your church. And I want to tell you, God has gifted me with a gift of criticism. I could not believe this word that came out of this guy's mouth. He's not here anymore, I think, because I laughed him out of my office. Not, I maybe didn't do quite that. I like how uh, Jane Wagner put it. She says, I personally believe we developed language because of our deep inner need to complain. <laughs> but nobody really likes a, a complainer. And honestly, I think as I've read the story of Israel as their, their, their time in the, in the wilderness, I've often been quite maybe looked down or felt superior to them uh, for their murmuring. They've experienced all this awesome deliverance. They've come through the Red Sea. God has parted the waters. And yet, a few chapters on, and they're complaining about something God has or hasn't done. Now, now I've been reflecting on this, and uh, if I'm honest, I can relate to their murmuring a little bit. What I've, uh, what I've found to be true, and, and maybe you can relate, is that yesterday's miracle quickly fades in light of today's need. You catch that? Yesterday's deliverance, the thing that God did yesterday in your life seems to fade quite quickly in light of what you're facing today, the trouble that you're in right now. We forget that. That's why we have to sing some of the songs we sing and remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God because we can forget that God is faithful. So the Israelites, they're, they're grumbling to God about their need. Let's look at a couple of specific examples. Like Exodus 15, uh, beginning at verse 22, says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Merah, they couldn't drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So they grumbled. Why? Well, they're in, the, they're in the desert, and they have been traveling for three days. They found no water. The water they have found is undrinkable. And so they complained to Moses, and Moses kind of up the chain, passes the complaint on to God. And here's the thing. I think it's actually really cool, is that God does not strike them dead for their complaining. In fact, God actually not only hears their complaint, he actually, we're told, makes the water sweet. He would go on to, to express in, that, in the same passage that he would be their healer. And then he leads them to Elam, which was this wonderful oasis, which were, is described here in great detail, 12 springs and 70 palm trees. What a gracious response on God's part. The next chapter, and, and, and it's literally the next chapter, Exodus 16. What are they doing? They're grumbling again before the Lord. This time, though, it's hunger. <laughs> um, any of you get grumpy when you're hungry? I think we've talked about this. Yeah, some of you. Well, I, I think we've avoided some significant conflict in recent years after we identified that, that if we haven't eaten, we can get kind of snappy at each other, can't we, hon? Or you can, that is. I mean, I'm, generally, I'm okay 
fed or not. But uh, for the Israelites, they're hungry and they're complaining about it. Now, it's right that they go to God. I'd like to think that they'd be more trusting and more polite in light of God's provision. But again, what does God do? He doesn't rebuke them. He provides manna, this, this meal from heaven, a food source that they would live on for 40 years. God responds with grace, not just with a meal, 40 years of meals. A couple quick thoughts here and a, and a question. First of all, do you see how the Israelites, their, their airing of a need, bringing it before their leadership, bringing it before God was actually productive. In each of those instances, God provides. God steps in and he brings about this remarkable solution. Miracles happen, actually. And, and, and I think for some of you, you're in a, you're in a conflict situation. Uh, maybe with a, a friend or maybe with a, 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 a co-worker or maybe you have some unfinished business with a member of your family. <laughs> and probably the best thing for you to do right off the bat is to go, with, go to God with your need. To trust God with whatever conflict or whatever tension or whatever turmoil you're dealing with. Look to him. Get his wisdom. By, by trusting God, it means you can kind of move forward without fear. And then you can state the problem. You can articulate it as best as you can. And then you move forward to get the help you need. And, and you might need along the way, you might need prayer support or, or counseling or a small group or an anger management group or, or divorce care. But God is a miracle-working God, and he can bring good out of any conflict. Part of what, what that will, will include, of course, is you speaking about it respectfully, lovingly, truthfully to the right person. On the other hand, how do you handle it when somebody brings a complaint to you? You heard, heard the true story of a couple in Germany uh, where every time the wife would raise issues, the, the husband would break out his World War II air raid siren and start cranking. This worked until actually the, it shut down the discussion, that's for sure, until the police got involved and confiscated his siren. How sad. <laughs> So, so let me ask you, again, a very personal question. How do you respond when someone raises a complaint or a concern to you? I, I, I suspect many of us have default positions on this. Do you get offended? Do you, do you kind of uh, dig your heels in, put up the walls, shut down? You know, when, when someone shares with us a need or a frustration or a, or a concern or their discontentment in some way, you know, I would say that is a fantastic opportunity for you to exercise grace. Let me, let me remind you of a couple of well-known Proverbs. Proverbs 15, a, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A hot-tempered person starts fight. Listen to this. A cool-tempered person stops them. Isn't that great? And, and, and this is modeled by the disciples in this passage, and I'd say it's modeled by God himself in the desert. And, and when grace is practiced, when, when people bring their concerns to us, it opens up opportunities for miracles. This has been a, 
a journey for me. I got to say, I, I don't think in any way that I've arrived. Um, my default position is defensiveness. And uh, Angel, she's, she's uh, been so good at being a truth teller in my life. I haven't always been a good receiver of the truth she's wanted to bring. And so my, my probably typical response to Angel has been to, uh, to want to be right, uh, to actually want to, to point out something in her. She brings something, well, well, what about you, right? I just give it right back. And uh, yet God has been uh, speaking to me, and I believe he will continue to speak to me for the rest of my life on this particular topic. Um, and there are those moments where she brings something up to me, and, and can I tell you, where I hear, I literally hear the Holy Spirit's voice. Do you know what he says? I don't expect him to say this, but he says this. He says, shut up, Derwin. <laughs> Listen and care. Seek to understand. And, and you know what the amazing thing is, is when I do that, it seems to open up all kinds of possibilities for great things, good things. We collaborate and, and we actually come up with solutions and, and intimacy comes out of that and all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things come out of that. It's amazing. I love the fact in this passage in Acts, the apostles did not take offense at the complaint from the, the Greek-speaking Jews. They set a meeting, they got the issue on the table, and they began working toward a solution. So, uh, two principles so far. When someone comes with a concern or a complaint, it's about learning to listen and responding with grace. That's huge. That in itself is, is revolutionary. But there's also this idea of just being brave enough to bring forward the concern, to articulate it clearly, to speak the truth in love and speak it to the right person. And, and, and let me say this on behalf of the leadership of this church. If, if you have a concern, we want to hear it so that there's no chance for murmuring to go on that, that can fester and, and can destroy and can, can steal away our joy and, and get us right off track Rather, we want to kind of be all on the same journey together, moving together as the body of Christ for the purposes of God. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that we're all going to agree on everything. That would be a little Jim Jones. That would be a little cult-like, right? Let's all drink the Kool-Aid, right? We're, we're allowed to have dissenting opinions. But let's get, a, get the opinions out and talk to the, the right person, you know, I, I, I would say this. I might not agree with a complaint you might have, but your voice matters, and it's worth hearing. So a great step to, to transforming our murmuring into journeying is to be able to hear each other out in the right way at the right time. Now, I say all that. I want to take some of it back, or I at least want to qualify it. Let me talk about complaining for a moment. It's interesting. I think uh, it is a symptom of of just how prosperous we are in Canada, but I think we live, as, as one author described it, we live in a culture of complaint. Is, is it not kind of obvious to you that, that uh, everything in this last weekend has tried to promote you getting off your couch and, and into the mall or onto Amazon? And what is it they try to create? This sense of dissatisfaction. And here's the thing, most of us have everything, and yet, what does it feel like? It feels like we don't have enough. 
If I could have just this one more, fill in the blank. Um, it's interesting. Look at the biblical complaints we looked at today. Here in Acts, it's, it's obviously, it's a justice issue. The Hebrew speakers, Hebrew-speaking widows are getting fed. The Greek-speaking widows are not being fed. In Exodus, we're talking about, about need, important need. Uh, water, food, and God responds with grace and provision. Some of you would remember in, in the Old Testament in Exodus when God did not respond as graciously to the Israelites' complaint. It's when they complained about the food that they were getting. We don't want manna anymore. We want meat, right? <laughs> and in that case, God was not pleased, and they brought judgment on themselves. Honestly, I think some of our complaining can be just like that. It's the kind of complaining that happens when you're really, really blessed. Author Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he talks about this. His, his observation of North American Christians is that we, in our culture and in our families, we're, we're strong on complaining and criticism and fault-finding, and we're weak in expressing thanks. I think it's interesting this weekend that we get Black Friday, but we don't even get Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? Isn't that kind of a weird, like, like we just have Black Friday as a, juxt, uh, you know, all by its lonesome. But, but uh, uh, discontentment, don't get me wrong, I want to qualify this again. Discontentment can be a sign that something really is wrong, that something's really not right. But it also can be a, a symptom of not seeing, not noticing, forgetting the blessings of God with not being satisfied with what God has already provided. I was struck this week by something uh, E.M. Bounds said. He's a, a biblical scholar. He talked about complaining. He said this, dissatisfaction at one's lot and a disposition to be discontented with things which come to us in the providence of God are enemies to thanksgiving. He says, gratitude and thanksgiving forever stand opposed to all our murmurings and our complaining. Gratitude and murmuring never abide in the same heart at the same time. Listen to this. This is kind of the antidote he suggests is True prayer corrects complaining and promotes gratitude and thanksgiving. Gratitude arises from a, a contemplation of the goodness of God. It is bred by serious meditation on what God has done for us. Appreciative men and women have neither the time nor disposition to stop and complain. What I see here is, is, is perhaps just that we need to back up a second here before we start complaining or sharing our complaint is we need to do some thoughtful reflection on our murmurings. We need to sit with Jesus with those things that irritate us or bother. What's, what's the root of this? Am I, am I missing out on what God is, is blessing? It, it, sometimes I think we can actually be that for each other. We can say, have you missed this whole part of your story? I mean... Your brokenness and your suffering is this, and look at how blessed you've been. Sometimes we need to actually be that voice in each other's lives. I have a, a friend who does this for me. I share my life, and they help give perspective on those kind of things. But I think we can do this from Jesus, with Jesus, and ask, ask the question, am I grateful? Am I a grateful person? And gratitude is so important in Scripture. It, it, the Apostle Paul said we're to be grateful people. He said be thankful when? 
in all circumstances, for this is God's will for all who are in Christ Jesus. Help it to process this, and if you struggle with this, you, you, if you tend to be a, a critic by nature, can I say this with all the love I can muster? God wants to change your nature. And God can change your nature. That's a significant renovation piece he, he, he wants to do in our lives is to turn us from critics to, to grateful people. And I've seen it happen. I've seen uh, a family member of mine who I, I would say was characterized entirely as a grumbler. And when God got a hold of their lives, they moved to becoming a grateful person. So it can happen to you. Now, another thing we observe from this incident is just to... <laughs> how conflict can be an opportunity for evaluation and positive change. The, the early church knew that they needed to construct something new. And you know, as followers of Jesus, one way to look at conflict is to look at it as kind of a construction ahead sign. Sometimes God has to kind of dig up the road in order to create a new path and in order to cr create a new way. And, and, and when conflict rises in our lives, it's a way of asking the question, slowing down and getting prayer support, and looking with our spiritual eyes open, listening, listening with our ears attentive, and discover how God might want to be using this to bring something new. What opportunity is, is cloaked in this conflict? What opportunity for God to do something great, something amazing? And, and, and if we're just going to ignore that, we can find ourselves just the tension rising and, and, and all this toxic stuff going on. And then look at what, I mean, the best example of this is actually in this passage, what got constructed in Acts after the church did this kind of conflict management along with the co cooperation of the Holy Spirit. As we said, uh, with Holy Spirit-inspired skill, the disciples nipped the murmurings in the bud, they called everyone together, and they, they, they agreed that this was a situation that warranted change. They recognized the conflict as something that that, that God was actually using, he was up to, and, and they prayed together, and they got God's presence and, and his spirit into the center of it all. The upshot, what did they do? Well, they assigned seven more people to help with the distribution of food. These are the names, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Do you know what's interesting about that list? They're all Greek names. <laughs> They're all Greek names. The very group that was complaining, the very group who felt marginalized, maybe they felt not included, maybe they felt less than, they're the ones who became the very people honored and commissioned to serve. And, and we hear great stories in the chapters ahead of people like Stephen and, and Philip of how they were filled with, by, with the Spirit of God and did great things in Him. And I'd say, isn't that the way the Holy Spirit works? He can turn our, our complaining into journeying with him. And, and, and I love how we're told, Luke ends this little passage. He says, the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. God created a new thing so that even more people could be reached with the news of Jesus. By the way, we've, the way we've organized our, our church life here at Hillside comes right out of this passage. Uh, we have elders who uh, are kind of responsible for the spiritual oversight of the church. I'm one of those elders. And then we have deacons. We don't call them deacons here at Hillside. We have serve teams, you might call them. And they're specialized kind of areas of help and care. They do some of the same kind of things that are described here in Scripture. We have a compassionate care team 
They're the ones that are organizing the hampers for our community, and they're, they're doing gift cards for people in our, in our church that are in need at Christmas, and those kind of things, developing, thinking about those kind of things. Think of our, our refugee sponsorship team who got together just for a time in order to walk us through the sponsoring of the Asaf family. I think of our finance team who take care of the finances and, and make budget decisions and help us stay on track financially. And I think of our, our global outreach team who think beyond us, beyond the Tri-Cities and to the rest of the world, our mission to the world. We've got all these great teams, Children's Ministry Committee. We listened to them the other day and it's just amazing to see these gifted, God-called people serving. And uh, I want to, if you're on one of those teams today, you know who you are. If you're when I'm leading our ushering ministry, or if you're involved in our kids' ministry, if you're on one of those committees, I want to say thank you for serving. It makes so much difference. The fact is, there have been churches in the past that organized themselves around a pastor who did most everything. And most of those pastors are dead now and in a grave. I just want to tell you that. It killed them, just about. The church was never meant to be that way. The church is meant to be a body, us working together, and God raises up people so that some people can focus on the word and teaching and, and prayer, and others can be hope, uh, working in their areas of giftedness and calling, and it's beautiful when the church operates in that way. It's so awesome, so awesome, amen? Well, I wonder, just to wrap up, what, would, you, would you bow your heads with me? I'm gonna ask you to, to consider some questions. Worship team, you can come up, but we're gonna just have you reflect here for a moment. Is there right now a conflict or tension in your life, a frustration? Maybe God has put it there as a gift. Uh, Might be, as Bill Heibel describes it, a a sense of holy discontent. The question I'd ask is, what might God want to be doing through you? It's like he raised up these, 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 those who complained about this injustice. He then released them to serve. What might he want to be sending you out into in your life? Talk to God about that. And I wonder this morning, what's your approach to conflict? Do you approach conflict with another person or group in a clear, direct way? Or do you avoid it? Do you you go to third parties instead of to the person directly? What change might God be asking you to consider making in the way you deal with conflict? What about uh, where you're at with gratitude right now? If you saw a scale, if you could picture a scale in front of you, and on one side it's a grateful heart, and the other side is a critical heart, uh, which way would the tail, the, the scale tilt? More towards discontentment or more towards gratitude? Where are you at right now? Bring that before, before God. If need be, confess repent.
and ask God to renovate you in that place. Father, as I said at the beginning, I sense that all of us can grow and in our way of approaching conflict in our day, God. Uh, we want to ask you for your wisdom and your grace. Lord, give us the, the, the courage to not avoid conflict, but not to be hurtful and create conflict, God. I pray wisdom from you so that we might be able to speak to the, the right person at the right time in the right way. I pray also, Lord, that, that as a church, as we wrestle with com, you know, complaint and, and, and different views, Lord, that you would bring unity and, and you would bring that new thing, that we wouldn't be problem deniers, but we would actually wrestle with what is and what you might want to do in that situation. Father, I, I pray too, would you help us learn as individuals and as a, as a community what it's like to be gracious to one another when complaints are raised. Forgive us, Lord, for our defensiveness. Forgive us for that, that we're so often like porcupines. I see that just um, wanting to protect and maybe wanting to hurt. And God, that's not the way of Jesus. And we pray you would give us grace to be able to um, respond graciously to conflict. God, we, we ask whatever renovation you want to continue to do in us individually and us as a church, however you want to organize us, we pray, God, you would lead us. Would you pull us together in unity into this future of seeing your kingdom come and your will be done both here and in the Tri-Cities and beyond. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.